What is up, Fence fam, and welcome to the Fence Expert Podcast, a podcast devoted to anything and everything fence. Whether it's tools, guests, or answering your fence-related questions, you've come to the right place. This podcast is sponsored by OZFence.Store, your one-stop shop for all your fencing-related hardware. Right now, they're offering a free shipping of $150 or more, and if you use the discount code PODCAST, you can save 15% in addition to the free shipping. With all that being said, let's dive into this week's episode. What is up, Fence fam? So good to be back with you guys, virtually, as it were. Uh, I'm so glad you guys took your time out of your Saturday to come join us. If you're watching live, you might be listening to this on the podcast. And if you are, welcome. You are listening to a live to recording a recorded live version of a live q a we host most every saturday uh from 10 to 11 ish central just depends on where the conversation takes us uh if you're listening to if you're listening but you'd like to participate live uh just search joe everest really on any of the social platforms youtube facebook linkedin instagram now so uh, wherever you like to consume video content, there's a good chance we're there, like I said, most every Saturday. Appreciate you guys listening. The team tells me it makes a big difference if you would share it out with your people, but also uh, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. So if you guys read the uh, read the title, you know exactly who today's guest is. Before we bring Andrew up, because listen, when Andrew comes up, we are going to hit the ground running. We already talked for a few minutes before the show, and we basically had a, uh, a full show before the show. So and I can only imagine where the conversation is going to take us before we get to that. Huge shout out, huge thank you to Expert Professional Wood Care Products. Uh, their line of fin stains make a difference in my business. They were we were vendors before they were sponsors. We love their products, which is why, which is why they sponsor the show. We reached out and asked if they would like to help support the show, help bring it out to more people, and of course, the good people over there, Caleb, Caleb, Ashley, and the team um, couldn't say yes fast enough. So thank you guys. If you guys install wood fences and you're looking for a great way to add top line revenue to add a easy upgrade conversation you should check out expert professional wood care products with that being said let's bring up andrew and hit the ground running andrew how are you wonderful joe how are you sir very good very good like i said i believe we had like a almost a full interview before the interview we sure did I appreciate you making time on a Saturday morning. I know, I know this time is uh, is sacred in a lot of ways. So I appreciate you making time. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course, guys. To give you a brief outline, so I'm trying something new. We talked about this beforehand. I'm actually writing down a brief outline of what we should talk about. Um, now it's fun to see where the conversation goes, but also it's good to kind of keep us on the right path, or else you know, you never know where the conversation goes. And next thing you know, we're talking about aliens in, in Antarctica or something to that effect. So it's so a brief roadmap and we might not get to the end, but uh, the first and foremost, because I think it's really important to talk about is key employee retention. Um, now, and before we get started, we'll define key employees and then maybe we just talk about employee retention, maybe in general. Um, the second, the second uh, stop on our journey is going to be a conversation about keeping your assets separate from your operating company, if it makes sense, why it might make sense, some potential benefits, uh, who should begin to think about it, that sort of thing. And then the last stop on our journey is business organization. So like legal ways of organizing your company and maybe the reasons you might uh, think about reorganizing or maybe when to think about reorganizing. Does that sound about right? Sounds beautiful. Beautiful. Before we get started, 
Let's uh, say hello to a few people. Front Rock Fences. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for showing me the shop and the hospitality. Very welcome. So I was uh, I was having a meeting, and in my office is a screen with the with the security cameras, just so I can kind of keep an eye on everything, see who's where, and if anybody needs help. Anyway, we're having this meeting. I glance up and I see a beautifully wrapped truck sitting in the parking lot. And I thought, oh, that that truck is sharp. Which okay, mission accomplished on the wrap. Uh, and then I look at it like Front Rock Fences. I know that guy. What in the world? So I ran up front and, and uh, yeah, we took a tour of the facility. Appreciate you stopping by. So, Andrew, this gentleman is driving from Florida up into Canada. So he's literally wow. taking a tour of the country. Jeez. It's a drive. It is a drive. I think <laughs> if I remember right, I think. I think he's still on the journey. I think it was, oh, he still had several more days to go. So I uh, appreciate you stopping in. And it's always good to see you. Thank you for your support. Roger Bencourt's here with us. What's up, Roger? Hello, Joe and the rest of the Fence fam. And hello, Andrew. There we go. Cannon Johnson, we know this guy. Tuned in. Thank you, Cannon, for dropping by. Oh, Cannon. Roger says, let's not forget those affirmations. That's right. If you're watching it and you think this content is worthwhile, give it a like. Or better yet, if you're watching Facebook, hold the like button down and just choose any of those. It could be the hard or it, it could be the angry face. It doesn't really matter. As long as you pick one of those, it does good things. Remember to share it out. That way, hopefully, we'll spread the good word to more people in your circle. Oh, no. Sarah Orlandi. Sarah, what are you doing? An outline? I've never been proud. So this is my this is my sister, my youngest sister, who also helps me in the business. And uh, yeah, so she's like rubbing off on me. So she has <laughs> list, organized her list of lists, I believe. Like it's all very organized. I like it. And I drive her crazy. She's like, well, what can what is the uh, do we have a, an agenda for the meeting? The agenda is we're having a meeting, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, yes, sir. A list. Now, it's a three-point list, but it, a start is a start. Craig Eubanks, what is up, Craig? What's going on, fellas? Craig, how are you, sir? I like uh, So Craig had put some uh, – actually, it looks like the logo in his uh, Facebook profile. He dropped him on socials. Uh, talk about somebody doing good stuff. Keep an eye on Craig. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Robert Evers, what's up, Robert? Good morning from Dublin, North Carolina. A fellow, what do you call somebody from North Carolina? North Carolina, or nope, that doesn't sound right. North but, Carolina, uh, North Carolina. Yeah, let's sit, let's settle on that. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> what's up in the Carolinas, Robert? How are you? Uh, yeah, so something that if you watch the show, you know we went back to my hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, saw what's going on there. Which here's a fun. Fun fact. Uh, well, I should have gotten this right beforehand. So the, there used to be a mall. So I, I lived in a small town called Cary right outside Raleigh. There, uh, one of the gaming companies, so it's like Blizzard or one of those, uh, bought the mall, tore it down, and is building their world headquarters right there. Oh, so wow. That's We drove by there, and the, the mall was gone. You, re, you know, as a kid, you have like these foundational mm -hmm. memories. Mm hmm one of mine was me and my buddies jumping on our bikes. And it, now this was, well, okay. I was going to say recent. Now I'm 40, so it's not that recent, I guess. But the mall was new. Like I I remember when they were logging it, me and my dad went and flew kites because it's a big open field. Um, so, I mean, it had to be maybe 30-ish years old. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, me and the buddies would jump on our BMX bikes, ride around, go spend money at the arcade or get candy at the whatever the candy shop is. 
So to drive by that and see it uh, bulldoze down, not a great day. That's tough. It is. It is. It was. It was a rough day. Front Rock Fences says he just crossed the border into Canada. I'm. I'm glad they let you back. I really am. I really am. <laughs> um. All right. So, Mark, you dropped the link for you just. To, and Mark's always two steps ahead. Good morning, Facebook user. Sarah says you can call them. You call them a Tar Heel if they know what's good for them. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, and then Robert agrees. Tar Heel all the way. Okay, so we're we're agreed on that. We can proceed through the show. We know Robert knows what's good for him. He identifies as a Tar Heel. All right. Lesson learned. <laughs> oh, Andrew, uh, like I said, I think we'll get started with key employee retention. Um, first and foremost, let's start by defining what a key employee would be in a business. Yeah, so um, we'll start with partnerships. So if you're a partnership, generally speaking, um, you and the other owner or other owners are likely going to be have your own roles and duties within the business. So you could count each of you as key people. Um, now, you don't necessarily have to worry about um, the owners leaving. So it's not as important when it comes to employee retention. But there's employee retention and there's employee protection, right? In other words, protection is protecting the business against the loss of a key person, right? Because if you lose a key person, there's going to be a direct cost and an indirect cost. The direct cost is finding and hiring and training that person's replacement. The indirect cost is whatever loss of productivity that the business would realize in that person's absence. So a lot of times the business owner is saying whether it be another owner or be, you know, an actual key person in the business when asked like, well, what would happen if the business lost this key person? And they'd say, well, I'd probably have to step in and, you know, do that person's job. And it's like, okay, well, with what time? Because you're already right. doing your job within the business and you're very busy and I know how busy you are. So how are you going to find time to do that job? And something's got to give. There's going to be loss of productivity in some way. Um, so financially the business needs to protect itself and that's where key person protection, generally insurances, whether it be mm -hmm. life insurance or disability insurance or something like that. Um, key person protection or excuse me, retention. So defining a key person partnership aside, um, generally it's going to be somebody that, um, generates revenue within the business. So it's not necessarily frontline folks, obviously they're generating revenue, but kind of sure. a, the business would suffer if the business lost this person. So it could be yep. like an operations manager. Um, it might be a designer. It might be a salesperson. It might be a crew leader. It might be somebody who, if you look and said, Ugh, you know, it would be real tough for a while if this person left, that would be a key person, yep. right? So if you're a small crew with a couple, you know, with just a couple guys, Probably you are the key person, yeah. right? And, and yeah. this may not be a concern. Um, but if you're a little bit bigger, if you have, you know, maybe a couple crews and things like that, um, then you arguably, I'm sure if you looked, have at least one or two people who you can identify as key people. Absolutely. Someone who the business would probably have to press pause for a period of time while they replaced that role, that individual right. in that role. Right. Okay. So... So let's talk, let's, let's get into how you keep it. We obviously understand those people are incredibly important. That's why they're sure. identified as a key person. Right. right. So now, and especially now when the economy, maybe there's a question mark here 
and maybe there's a little bit of a fog looking into the future on on what that looks like. So I think retention in general right now is a conversation everybody's having. What are some ways we can look at retaining these key employees? Now, let, let me pause here. Sean King is going to be very upset. We need we call them team members, like key team members. Oh, so. sure. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> key, key team members. <laughs> but what, what steps can we take to try to retain these these key team members and, and basically keep our company on uh, stable ground here? So just a quick blurb about employee retention in general. Okay. Um, a lot of business owners focus on pay and compensation. They say, you know, I'm willing to pay this much and this, that, and the other, and and so on and so forth. Um, obviously, pay is important. Pay and benefits are important, certainly. Um, but there's a lot of things that go into employee retention that isn't that, right? It could be leadership. It could be culture. It could be management. It could be the feeling of importance, the feel, feeling valued. Employees have to feel, feel like they are our team members have to feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves. They have to feel like they're part of a community, part of a home, part of something that um, that they are proud of and can do good at. And I mean, there's a lot of like intangible things that aren't just pay and compensation that go sure. into that, right? And people need to see that they're part of a winning team. They need to see that I have upward mobility. Nobody wants to be in a job where they feel like I'm only ever going to do this always and forever and don't get a chance to move up and so on. Right. So um, there's, there's, uh, I mean, you know, a couple, a dozen or two little things that aren't pay and compensation. Right. So just a quick blurb about that in general. Um, Then when it comes to key people, one of the biggest mistakes I see business owners make when it comes to that is the first place their mind goes is, hey, I have this keeper, I have this person that's really important to the business. Um, they've been with me for a long time. They're really, you know, integral to the business. I want to give them a percentage ownership of the business to help them stick around and so they can share in the profit and so they can, you know, and all the intention is great. Like, you sure. know, where their mind at, where their heart is at with that is wonderful. Um, but almost never I won't say never, but I mean, uh, you know, giving an employee a percentage ownership of the business is usually the last thing you should consider. Okay. And most most business owners go to that first because they don't know what the other options are. So sure. want to discuss the other option, which generally and there's, you know, so speaking in generalities, yeah. there's kind of kind of three big ones. Right. Okay. So there's synthetic equity or phantom stock they both mean the same thing so if you hear me say synthetic equity or phantom stock they both mean the same thing okay. there's non-qualified deferred compensations plan uh, non-qualified deferred compensation plans which we'll dig into um, and then profit sharing right are kind of the three um, kind of big overall obviously there's you can get real creative with different things but those are the yeah. three of the most uh, kind of more common ones, and they're all they all work different ways. Are meant to incentivize different things. Um, so depending on what, depending on your business, depending on this person's role within the business, and depending on what you're trying to incentivize, um, will determine which of those are going to be the better fit for you and the you know uh, golden handcuffs for that person. All of these, sure. you know. You might hear the term golden handcuffs, right? So we yeah. want to, you know, we want to make sure that this person is incentivized to stick around for a long period of time. 
And again, paying compensation, culture management, all the all that other stuff is part of that as well, obviously. Um, and people will say, well, I give them, you know, sometimes I give them profit share on jobs or I give them, you know, kind of commission on jobs or I give them bonuses and like that. It's great in the short term. Right. But that only keeps them there through that through that bonus. Right. Sure. Unless they are kind of more officially tied to something. So. Um, you and I talked quite a bit. Uh, like you said, we kind of have a show before the show. We talked quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, let's about. Oh, sorry. Sure. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so one, one important distinction here is kind of what the end in mind is, right? Like what, what the goal is. And it yeah. seems like a 10 year exit is kind of the, the landmark that we need to look at. If you're looking at something sooner than 10 years. So, and you used an example of a company that uh, saw the end on the horizon. There wasn't really an heir apparent. There wasn't, there weren't kids that were interested. There weren't, you know, interested employees or team members or, or whatever. Um, So they're, they were looking at a sale, right? Just out to a outside individual or company or an outside interest uh, in less than 10 years. So that would likely look one way. Right. A, A lot of times in fencing, we tend to start with a much further horizon, right? So mm-hmm. we've got kids, we've got siblings, we've got other people that we're looking at, Hey, over time, we're going to bring them into the fold. We'll likely do some sort of transfer in a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's over 10 years. It's across that horizon. Right. And those, those decisions look different than the shorter than 10 years. We'll call them short term and long term, maybe exits. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, synthetic equity, to your point, is really intended. So what let's talk about what synthetic equity is. Synthetic equity is basically a deferred compensation plan. But what you're doing, the way you can structure that is let's say you had, again, a key person within the business and you knew that you will likely your plan is to likely sell the business within 10 years, beyond 10 years, isn't going to be, and and you'll see why, but isn't going to be this, this method won't be effective for incentivizing that. It generally needs to be under 10 years, under five, certainly, but you would stretch it as far as 10. Um, So if you knew that you were going to sell the business at some point within the next five to 10 years, um, then synthetic equity um, for a key employee Uh, could work. And so what it is, is on paper, it is a percentage of the sale price that they will get once it's sold, right? So it's not actual ownership of the business. It's an on paper thing to say only upon the sale of this business will you get a certain percentage, right? And so you can structure it to um, say, all right, you know, you got this key person or key people and they're like, all right, well, you can earn 1% 1% synthetic equity per year up to X percent, let's say 5%. So you can earn 1% per year and then it will cap at 5%. Um, and then let's assume that that person capped at 5% and you built your business and you sold it at some point down the road for a million bucks. Well, that person would get 5% of the sale price, which would be $50,000, right? So that incentivizes them to stick around through the sale because sure. Uh, and the reason that's important to you as the owner is because, again, if that person is key and crucial to the business, presumably a decent chunk 
of the value of the business is dependent upon that person um, or somebody just like that person to be in that position, right? So, you know, if you got to that point where you're like, hey, we're, you know, we're getting close to selling, uh, you know, in the next, you know, couple of years, or let's say you're in conversations with somebody and then that key person were to leave for whatever reason, there goes whatever sale price you thought. It's just going to be less, sure. right? You're, you're yeah. not you're not going to be able to get the same. So it might be worth giving up a certain percentage yeah. to make sure that person sticks through the sale. And then the example that uh, you and I talked about prior um, to coming on live is, um, you know, a client that has a, you know, a contractor type business. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have any. So the, the synthetic equity can also be part of a succession plan for the business. Okay. Um, because this guy didn't have a there's no heir parents. He's got two young daughters. He's got uh, no employees that would, you know, would be the person he would sell it to upon his death or something like that. So, again, and as part of a succession plan making sure that we have a plan for what happens to the business or something would happen to him because is yeah. like most business owners, the majority of his wealth is in his business. So if yeah. he were to die and the business becomes much less valuable because he's not there, he wants to make sure that his family can capitalize on this thing that he's built for the last 15, 20 years. Right. So um, he identified or we identified uh, three key people one being like an office manager person, one being kind of a crew leader type person, and then one being a designer for the type of work that he did. And he's like, I really need all three of those to be able to to run this business. So basically, we are in the process of working on his succession plan. And each of those three people, upon his death, will get 5% synthetic equity of the business. So not actual ownership, synthetic equity of the business, because upon his death, it's basically going to be put to market and hopefully they can sell it within six to 12 months or whatever. But if any of those people were to leave, it's not going to be worth what it was once worth. So we need to make sure that those people stick around through the sale. And I mean, we're talking about, you know, a multi-million dollar business. So, I mean, you know, 5% each of multiple millions of dollars is a meaningful amount for them. It's significant. um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, but again, that's only for, Again, to your point, if you're like, hey, I'm, you know, we are not thinking about that anytime on the horizon. My plan is to pass it down to kids or my, you know, I have no uh, thought of selling the business any anytime soon, certainly not within 10 years, then synthetic equity would probably not be the thing for you to look at for your key employees. Okay. Well, and so that's a great transition. So where, where would you start looking? So you've got a successful business. You've got key employees where, hey, if this person were to leave, we would have to press pause on that part of the business until we filled that role again. Um, what? So what do you start looking at? If it's so say if it's over that 10 year horizon, where do you start looking to, to keep those key team members? So um, depending on the role of this person, we will either look at a profit share plan or a non-qualified deferred compensation plan. So I'll talk about the non-qualified deferred compensation plan first. Um, And there's two ways to structure that. I mean, there's multiple, there's two kind of main ways to structure it and then lots of ways to structure it within that. Uh, But the two main ways are a defined benefit plan or a defined contribution plan. So basically what you're doing is, again, and what you're trying to do is incentivize this person to stick around for a long period of time, let's say 20 years. 
All right, just making up a number, 15, 20 years, sure. let's say 20. Well, if it's a defined benefit plan, well, then you're creating this plan. And again, it's, you know, you got to do all the legal documentation, like it's kind of a whole thing to get it set up, but, yep. you know, uh, it can be done uh, fairly easily. Um, defined benefit plan is so you are defining the benefit that they get down the road. So you're not necessarily responsible for the contributions. So whether you contribute nothing or a lot or where that money goes or how you're, how you're doing that doesn't matter, but this is a liability, right? This is a future liability where you're basically promising them X amount of dollars at some point in the future, right? So in other words, let's say that you structured it to be a 20 year plan and you're saying, Hey, if you stick around for the next 20 years, I promise the business promises to give you X amount of dollars in either a lump sum or X amount of dollars per year over a certain, you know, a 10 year period of time or however you want to structure that. But you are promising that that number down the road if that person were to stick around. So, okay. I mean, it needs to be enough where it's meaningful, where somebody yeah. cares, you know, um, and then it's a and again, it can be unfunded, which then it's an unfunded line ability, which not a lot, I mean, you know, isn't, I don't think the thing to do, but right, you know, you're right. promising, you're promising them X amount of dollars at some point down the road. And then it's a tax write off to the business once it's paid to them. So if you were to okay. invest that money somewhere, it's not a tax write off. If you were to contribute money somewhere, it's still a business asset. So if you're putting money aside for this person and this person leaves 10 years into that 20 years, well, they don't get any of that money. They're not vested in any of it, right? So they don't get any of it and the business gets to absorb that money and keep it because it's a business asset. So that's why it's not a tax deduction in the the years that you're contributing. It's only a tax deduction once it's paid to them and then it's tax realized. Right. Um, The other way to structure that is the defined contribution plan where you're saying, Hey, same deal. Let's say twenty-year deal. I'm promising you in twenty years you're going to get this money, and and we're putting X amount of dollars per year aside. X amount of dollars per year. X amount in general, right? So just mm-hmm. if we had a lump sum or if we, X amount per year over the period of time, but we're going to put let's say you know a hundred thousand dollars into this plan for you over the next however long, and then whatever it grows to, you will get. 20 years from now, if you're still here. And again, it can be paid out to you all at once or over a multi-year period of time. Um, But you are on the hook for the contribution. It is a defined contribution. And then whatever it grows to, they're going to get whatever they get. So you're not on the hook for how much is there. You're on the hook for how much you're contributing to that. Okay. Right. Still, again, same deal. It's a business asset while, uh, you know, before it's paid to them. So if that person were to leave or if you were to fire them or what have you, you can, the business recoups that money, right? So it's only a tax right off once it's paid to them. Um, Again, that needs to be people who, that needs to be a business that has no plan to sell anytime, either ever or not anytime within the next 10 years. Yep. That needs to be a key person that is really important and integral to the business that you really want to make sure sticks around for a long period of time. Sure. And you want to reward that person for that, um, you know, for the contribution to the business and what they've been doing and for their loyalty and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, that needs to be something that um, is meaningful enough 
an amount of money. You know, if you're like, hey, I promise if you stay 20 years, we're going to give you an extra $2,000 a year. For, I mean, you know, nobody's yeah. going to care yeah. that much about that. It needs to be a, a meaningful amount. So there was a, this sounds familiar. There was a, a construction type company or there is a construction cut type company that um, a, a guy I know works in anyway. He was talking about, he was celebrating becoming vested in this company. And I was like, that's interesting. Like what? And he got like a jacket and he got all this, you know, they said, you know, uh, like vested member or something like that. And I was like, what, what does this mean? He's like, okay, there's a pool of money. And it is a big pool. And so what this company does, they take a, per, a, a healthy chunk of profits and puts it in every year into this big pool of money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It get, I didn't get into the weeds with him, but after, I think his number was five years. After five years, he vests a percentage a year into that. So, okay. and upon his exit, whether willingly or not, he's entitled to whatever percent of whatever that pool of money is at that time. Um, nice. so, well, that is incredibly interesting. Now mm-hmm. you get, it takes a chunk of money, right? Like you, you can't start that fund with, with, uh, you know, a thousand dollars or something like that. But, and so right. then my, then my wheels got turning. I was like, Oh, interesting. So one, it ties them to that goal, right? We need to grow mm-hmm. this pool because now I'm entitled to a percentage of it. So let's make that bigger. Mm-hmm. And the company says, great. The way to make that bigger is by helping increase profits so we can put more mm-hmm. into that every and every year they had like during their end of year dinner or whatever they're like we're moving this chunk into this so you can multiply your number times that number and mm-hmm. you know where you're at right mm-hmm. now w- what i think also makes sense is that company probably has that in an interest bearing account right oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. that is then they're making their money work for them sort of thing yep. so um, anyway, I, this sounds like, this sounds like a version of what you're talking about. Yeah, that, that sounds like it. And it sounds, if it's a percentage of profit, it sounds like, so a couple things, one, you know, if we're talking about doing like a non-qualified deferred compensation plan or something like I was describing, obviously there needs to be enough profit and cash flow and stuff there to, to be able to do that comfortably. Right. Sure. I mean, I, that, I, I know that seems fairly obvious, but it makes me feel better to say it. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like what that guy, um, the business that was a maybe form of, uh, and again, I'd have to look at the details, but it sounds yeah. like a, a form of a profit sharing plan, which is interesting. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, or it, it could be maybe like a hybrid between the two or something. Because he, it did have a deal where he would, he had to be there for five years, but then he didn't have access to it until he left. And it was defined by a percentage. He got some some percentage a year of, I don't, like I said, I didn't get too far into the weeds on it, but. Did he mention if it was an employee owned company? I don't believe they, I don't believe they are. Okay. Um, I, and I don't, they, they very well could be. Um, sure. It just sounds similar. It sounds similar to an ESOP, an okay. employee stock ownership plan. Okay. Uh, you know, again, without looking at the details, I'm, I'm yeah. gra- grasping at straws, but. Yeah, yeah. But there, there, maybe this is just an example of that. There are different ways to to slice the pie, right? That yep. we can get to uh, end in mind. But the reason I bring it up is now this individual is very tied to the success of that company because his success is now, or a portion of it, he still gets obviously compensated and, and yeah. he has 
bonuses and that sort of thing. But he has his overall number sitting at the top. He's like, I need to make that number bigger, right? And the longer he stays in, the higher his percentage gets. And to your point, we all want employees who give a crap about the profitability and healthiness of the business. And that's a great way to do it is to tie at least part of their compensation to the healthiness, the financial healthiness and or profit of the business, which kind of leads us into perfect segue into profit sharing plans. Right? <laughs> yep, so, you bet. This seems like it is. It, it was all orchestrated very well, but <laughs> I would love to take credit, some sort of credit for this, but it's it's actually just flowing smoothly today. Yep. Um, so if it's a profit share, again, you can do something like you're mentioning Okay. Um, or that gentleman was talking about where it is this you know big plan that everybody gets to um, participate in if they're there for a certain period of time, all those things. Um, or you can do, which is wonderful for businesses that are big enough and healthy enough to be able to do that, right? Um, or you can do some sort of profit share plan with um, an employee. It doesn't have to be everybody. Um but you would want to make sure that the person that you are putting on some sort of profit share plan is somebody who is in charge of running at least a department or part of the business. Sure. Or I've seen it happen a lot where it's like, this is the person who basically the business owner is at the stage where it's like, all right, this person could probably run this thing without me. And I want to take, or largely, and I kind of want to take a step back. And I want to make this person incentivize them to, again, give a crap about the financial healthiness of the business above and beyond their compensation. So then some sort of profit share plan where it's like, hey, man, you're basically in charge of running this now. And I'm going to give you a healthy percentage of the profit. I'm not going to give you percentage ownership because, number one, that complicates things. Number two, to your point, now they share in the downside and the liabilities of the business as well, yeah. which a lot, of, a lot of employees don't necessarily want or they may, might not understand fully. Uh, but they do get to share in the upside, right? So, um, so you know, tying part of their compensation to profit. And, again, I, I think it needs to be somebody who is either responsible for a sizable amount of revenue to the business and or somebody who is like in charge of something, in charge of a division, in charge of, you know, it could be a, a, a crew leader type position, or it could be that person where it's like, I want this person to basically kind of take the business over and me take a step back. Yeah. But I don't want to give them ownership, but I want to give them the upside to the business. Part yeah. And they the have upside. a significant metric they can follow. Right. right. Just say here, here is the metric that I am responsible for. And it can, it can be revenue. It can be gross profit. It can be right. whatever. It can be widgets, right? My yeah. metric is a thousand widgets a month. And as long as I hit my thousand widgets, I know that ties to this, right? right. Because a thousand widgets are important to the business. Again, you can tie them sure, to revenue sure. and profits and that. So, but I think the distinction you're making is, they need to have some sort of responsibility for a large chunk of whatever, whatever the metric is. And so if it's, if it's widgets, I think that's a bonus. If you sell so many widgets, you get a bonus. It's not necessarily profit share. Sure. Sure. Revenue. I I really um, encourage business owner clients to steer away from revenue based bonuses or goals 
not saying it's not important. Um, but profit is what's most important, right? So if we're caring about revenue growth at all, so we have like a landscaping client and we were looking at, so we'll do this for all clients, but this one's just fresh in my head. And we'll look at, we'll get, you know, a number of years, as many as we can, but at least five if we can, of all the numbers of, you know, gross revenue, profit, expenses, all the payroll, all the stuff on down, right? And so we'll get these numbers and we'll look at trends, right? So we'll look at obviously revenue growth throughout the years and profit as a percentage of revenue and all the stuff, right? So we'll look at all these things. And so with him, we were noticing that, uh, you know, he's a he's a rather mature, successful business by any metric. Um, he's done really well. But obviously, you know, in your early years, the percentage of revenue goes up dramatically. But as you get more mature, it starts to kind of tail off, right? As far as he's still seeing double digit growth, but it's just not 50, 60 percent. It's, sure. you know, 10, 20 percent or something like that. Um, but so we notice this and then we notice expenses. Right they're they're uh, uh, they're doing this and so at some point (laughs) yeah at some point they're going to meet and so it's just useful to identify that trend and you know point that out and say all right well then either we need to decrease expenses and or increase revenue and or profitability or some combination of those two with him we couldn't decrease expenses too much it was like all right you're gonna have to raise how much you're charging for what you're doing and you know that's what we anyway so i say all that to say if it's just if we're giving a revenue-based goals um, or, you know, bonuses or, you know, things like that, it's like, well, we might be growing revenue, but we might might not be growing profit or we might not be growing profit at the same percentage that we're growing revenue. So because of expenses and things like that. So I I really encourage um, business owners to, you know, not saying not to have any revenue-based uh, metrics or bonuses, but I really, if you can to tie those bonuses, if it's something instead of, if it's not like widgets sold or if it's not something sure. like that, then tie it to profit instead of revenue. I think that's the, yeah. the, the cleanest way. No, that makes sense. And, and again, so that also aligns, it, it brings them in line with your goals as a business owner, right? right. Our, my goal as a business owner isn't to sell a ton of top line revenue, it's to grow the bottom line, right? Because that's right. the top line leads to the bottom line. It's a funnel, but right. I'm most concerned with what ends up at the bottom, right? So it, it ties, it aligns them maybe with that goal. And that's a really great point. And again, another perfect segue into, I think um, the point you made is perfect because I think a lot of business owners are, you know, try to find ways to, incentivize and encourage employees but they might not they might struggle finding the best ways to tie those incentives to what to the actions that you're trying to drive sure the actions and or outcomes that you're trying to drive right so um you know finding ways to above and beyond like base pay and and bonus um you know benefits and compensation if you're looking for bonuses or if you're looking for these other things, right. Um, golden handcuffs, whatever it is, mm-hmm. what are we trying to incentivize? Right. So let's, let's identify that first and then find compensation methods to best incentivize the actions and or outcomes that we are trying to incentivize, um, yeah. which isn't always easy. Cause again, a lot of business owners are very good at doing what they do 
and through no fault of their own, I cannot build a fence. I mean, sure. I can, but it's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. Right. Yeah, so, um, you know, same deal. There's a lot of business owners that just don't know what the options are. So if you're, if you're trying to figure out options, but you're coming with like a limited pool of options that you know about, then you got to find somebody that can like, no, 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 no. The pool is much bigger than what you think because there's all these other options out here. Now this gives us a bigger pool to, to choose from as far as finding what those options are that will most incentivize those people. Right. Well, and lead to the, to the outcome that you're most interested in. Absolutely. Like, which at the end of the day, one of the things you should be interested in is net profit, right? After, after everybody gets paid, what's left, what's left in the kitty sort of thing. 100%. So let's let's transition. So and this is kind of what I figured would happen. We're 40, 45 minutes into subject one. Yeah. Uh, but it, this is obviously a big subject, though. Sure. Right. And it it is important to the success of a business. Right. Is to keep your key team members in this in the seat motivated to try to help push this whole thing forward. Um, the other thing is so. This this will be a little bit more clunky of a transition. It's not nearly as seamless as what we've been what we what we've been doing. We pulled um, it off beautifully. Oh, it was great. Yeah. So, so one thing that I think is also relevant. So keep keep your key members there. Let's also protect the business, right? Let's also be smart about how we organize the business, and and one of those areas is assets, right? And this conversation has come up a few times in social media. You see it a lot in heavy equipment, or at least I see a lot with friends with heavy equipment construction type businesses. They keep all of their equipment, right? Personal, I don't know what you want to call it, but their dozers, their excavators, or all their heavy equipment in a like an equipment holding company, mm-hmm. right? Joe, Joe's equipment is over here. Now, Joe's equipment then leases that equipment to Joe's construction company, mm-hmm. two separate, two separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few benefits to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And the one everybody talks about is there's a financial benefit, right? So that that's the first thing everyone talks about as well. Joe's leasing company depreciates these assets over whatever, whatever scale they're on. But then Joe's construction company can re- that lease payment shows up directly on the profit and loss. So then it gets, it gets counted in uh, against the profits, against the net profit. So it's almost a win-win, which then everyone gets excited about, right? So like, yes, I get to win. But what they don't talk about is there's a few caveats to this, right? So maybe we could dive into this subject a little bit deeper. And, and we probably need to preface this with, it's different for everybody, right? And it probably it probably varies state to state, maybe too. On and we're going to get into sales tax, we're going to things like that. But just know that this isn't like a blanket suggestion yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big caveat being um, this is you know general stuff that we really cannot say. I mean, I you know um, we run into some people where that makes perfect sense. Um, it may, you know, some people it makes a lot less sense. And I, uh, so yes, I mean, I will say, and like you said, it's state to state, it's situation per situation. So do not take any of this and go run and do stuff without talking to your people first. Right. So this is um, not professional advice. You should consult a professional before you make decisions. That's right. 
I think that's the way people say that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, a couple things. One, I think the financial benefit is generally overstated, and that's the okay. one that gets most people excited. But I think a lot of people misunderstand that or it's overstated or kind of o- oversold. The main benefit for that, or at least from where I'm sitting, is the asset protection slash liability protection um, of separating those things out. So in today's world, most businesses are structured as an S corporation, or a lot of them are, right? Are structured as an S corporation. It might be an LLC that mm-hmm. chooses the S election, but either way, you're filing as an S corp. Um, in a lot of cases, that's what businesses are doing nowadays. Um, so we run into sometimes, so not just vehicles and equipment, but we also run into almost never does it make sense to own your real estate. So if you own your commercial property that you're running your business out of, a lot of times it's owned by the operating company, by, you know, uh, ABC fencing company, LLC, right, or whatever. Um, almost never should real estate be owned by an S corporation for all sorts of reasons that I won't bore you with. But most of the time, almost always, it makes more sense to separate that uh, um, that commercial property into a separate business entity and do a lease back, do that lease back okay. agreement, right? Yeah, the operating company pay a lease payment to that. Um, a couple of reasons. One, longer term, um, you know, if you ever plan to sell the business, this, that, and the other, most business buyers, or a lot of them, generally just want to buy the business. They don't want to buy the real estate. So if you own the real estate in a separate business entity, they'll buy the business from you, and then they'll continue to pay you a lease payment on the property that you own. So that's a that's a win-win, certainly. Right. And then if yeah. you didn't want to keep it, you could go sell it to somebody else or whatever or continue to keep it and you know uh, generate that income. Um, in the shorter term, though, with the building, if somebody were to get, you know, slip and fall or whatever, get hurt on your property, generally speaking, um, they can sue the owner of the business um, or of the building, which is ABC Realty Company, LLC, right? Not ABC Fencing Company, LLC. Um, So generally speaking, it's that asset protection, liability protection that's that's most important. Um, But yes, so operating company will have to pay a lease payment to realty company, which depending on your state and so on and so forth, there might be a sales tax on the lease. Now for your building, I will say almost always separate that out. Okay don't have it owned by your operating company. When it comes to vehicles and equipment, that's very much an it depends thing, right? So if if you're a smaller business, smaller slash newer business, um, and it's, you know, you and not a lot of equipment, maybe one or two trucks or, you know, whatever it is, um, at least have it in the operating company's name. I see a lot of business owners out there who own the vehicles and equipment in their personal name, or at least yeah. some of them, sure. and use it for business purposes. So you were telling me a story that I think this would be a good <laughs> a good point for you to tell the story of why that's important. Yeah. So this is like a friend of a friend scenario, right? So this got this had happened fairly recently. I was talking to a buddy about somebody. Actually, it was a one of his clients. Anyway, was so it was like a microbrewery where the equipment, the upfront cost is very expensive, but. I don't know microbrewery, but there's like stainless tanks. There's <laughs> fermenting things. There's a lot that goes into this. So he had just created the company. Um, he was taking his personal vehicle, pulling a personal trailer to go pick up 
the business equipment. So, you know, XYZ Brewing paid for, you know, whatever, half a million dollars, whatever, for this equipment, but it was pulled by business owners, truck and trailer. So then they got in a wreck on the way back and it was somebody crossed the median, smashed into the truck, total loss. Thankfully, they were okay, right? That's the silver lining here. But so the obviously it was a personal vehicle that crashed into him. Their insurance tops out at a certain level, right? His insurance would not cover the business equipment that was being towed, the vats or whatever it was. He Mm -hmm. lost all of that because it was a personal vehicle and his personal insurance was like, why you aren't being paid by the business to transport this. The business wasn't covering any of the cost of this transportation, right? So that's not a, these are two separate entities, right? You had a business mm-hmm. thing and then you had the personal. Well, he didn't have business insurance set up because this was a founding idea, right? This is an emphasis. So what that reminds me of is an owner operator that started, most ways he start is nights and weekends on the side, personal vehicle, personal trailer, but it's a business endeavor, right? So you're doing this for money. You're getting paid. It's a it's a commercial endeavor. So then you get a little success. You maybe get a dingo or a bobcat or a business piece of equipment on a personal vehicle. God forbid something happens. And in this in this example, this was no fault of his own. Someone mm-hmm. else crossed me. It was their fault, but. Mm-hmm. This all gets tangled up. It all gets very murky. And at the end, this guy, real world scenario, lost all of that. So now that that whole business dream gets put on the shelf while he goes back and has to go back into the market, work for someone for a while to then be able to chase it again. Yeah, what a mess, man. Um, Yeah, so at least having vehicles and equipment owned by the operating company, not in your personal name is kind of a standard one Oh one, make sure to have that done beyond that. It might make sense again, depending on all sorts of factors, size of the business and all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have vehicles and equipment, sometimes it makes sense to create a business entity to hold vehicles and equipment and lease it back. Sometimes it makes sense to hold vehicle leasing an equipment leasing company and have both that's doing a lease back. Right. Okay. Um, Again, same things apply that, you know, depending on state and all the stuff, you'll probably pay a sales tax on the lease. So if you ask an attorney, if you should separate those things out, their answer is almost going to be yes, because they are really just looking at it through the liability lens. If you ask your CPA, your CPA is likely going to tell you, no, just up your insurance or just do this or that. And the they're both right is sure. the, is the sure. hard part for the business owners who are like, I don't know who to. Yeah. And, gonna, well, gonna, and part of the accountant's argument is going to be, you're not argument, but this one of their points is going to be, there is a cost associated with maintaining all these separate entities. There's mm-hmm. separate filings or separate. We got, mm-hmm. they have to be, depending on the type of organization, maybe there are certain filings that have to be done. There's certainly separate tax filings that have to be done for each one. You know, we're talking about sales tax, right? So company one has to pay sales tax on the lease. Well, company two has to report that sales tax to the government. There's some administration costs that go into yep. maintaining all of these. Yep. And there's a comment here, and, and I think it 
dovetails nicely into what you're saying. So if you have an LLC that owns the shop, so a, a real estate holding company, as you diversify, should you start another LLC for a rental house or is it okay for the rentals under one umbrella? No. So if one is used for commercial purposes, generally speaking, almost always you would want to have, if you have a rental property, have it owned by a separate business entity. Now yeah. I will say too, again, the argument on when it comes to like rental properties and stuff like that, having it owned by an LLC or having what's called an umbrella, a personal umbrella insurance policy, right? So with an LLC, the thought is, again, the LLC owns this thing, not me. So this protects it from if somebody were to get hurt on the property and sue me, yep. then they shouldn't, they can sue the owner of the property, which is LLC, not me. And yep. that should be protected. So like you and I were talking about before the show, a lot of people assume, all right, LLC owns this thing. And by doing that, I've created this shield and I'm protected. But if not done correctly, so a lot of people end up like commingling funds or it's just not handled correctly. And if that's the case, it, like having the LLC is step number one. Step number two is doing it correctly, right? So sure, sure. if you're not handling it correctly, um, then any attorney fresh out of law school will be able to prove to a judge, judge, there's no financial difference between this business entity and this person. They have to be treated as the same. And then you might as well not have the LLC. And you, um, yeah, you've gone through all of that for nothing. Exactly. You've paid all the costs and all the stuff and you, you know, it, it did nothing. Yeah. Or you can have a personal umbrella insurance policy, which is super cheap. Whoever you get your home and auto through, you can call them and get it through them. Um, super cheap. Um, you can get, they're usually sold in increments of a million and you generally should have it, um, have enough coverage to at least equal or maybe slightly exceed your net worth, right? So if you have a one and a half million dollar net worth, let's say, then get a $2 million umbrella policy. It'll probably be less than a thousand dollars a year, right? I mean, they're really cheap or somewhere right around there, um, depending on all sorts of factors. Um, but that does the same thing. Somebody sue you above and beyond what your normal insurance would pay as far as liability protection. That covers if you had a $2 million policy, that covers you for another $2 million above that. And so real quick story about that. At the beginning of last year, we had a client. So for I, I personally believe a lot of people, let's say most people, um, should consider having a personal umbrella insurance policy. They're super cheap. Um, it's worth having. People are so sue happy nowadays, all the stuff. Yep. So we we recommend to a lot of clients to consider having it to call their property casualty insurance person and to, you know, look at quotes and let's look at getting something. Sure. Um, so we had this client at the beginning of last year, told him, hey, you should, you know, you should get this. Um, anyways, you know, time goes by, a little bit of time goes by. He ends up reaching out to me. Uh, he said, hey, who's the best attorney, you know? And I said, well, for what? And he's like, I just got in a car wreck. He's literally on the side of the road after this car wreck. Like it just happened. He's like, I just got in a car wreck. Police are asking me questions. I told him I want an attorney present. Because he ended up killing the lady that um, he got in a car wreck with. Oh, not great. Right. Um, and it was an accident. It was no, you know, it wasn't drinking. He wasn't no that kind sure. of stuff. It was just, it just happened. Um, so I immediately, so I said, here's an attorney that can help you with that. And I immediately asked one of, my, one of my team members, I said, can you pull up his file to see if he got that umbrella policy we told him to, got, told him to get? 
And she came back after a few minutes and she said, well, I see on three separate occasions, we reminded him to get it. And after each meeting, we send a recap email. Here's what we talked about. Here's any action items. Here's any information we need. And every email after the meeting, we reminded him to get it, gave him contact information for somebody who can help him to get it, all the stuff. Um, and she's like, I don't see confirmation where he got it, so I don't know. And so I asked him. He didn't know. Come to find out, he didn't get it. And hmm. he's in the middle of a lawsuit right now. And we don't know how it's going to yeah. turn out. But um, probably not great. He makes over he makes over seven figures a year. Right. I mean, he makes great income. All the, anyway, so point yeah. is, um, most people, regardless of all the LLC stuff, whatever, I, I would encourage you call your home and auto person, consider getting an umbrella policy. They're super cheap. The, the, uh, the juice is worth the squeeze, but that sure. helps with a lot of the personal liability stuff, not necessarily yeah. the business. But the tax thing, to your point, Mm-hmm. is you create this LLC, this LLC is purchasing the pro, uh, the um, the equipment or vehicles. Yeah, you get to depreciate those and write those off. And then if this business is um, paying a lease payment to the LLC that owns that, well, then the operating company gets to write off that lease, right? Yep. Um, however, the LLC that owns that property has to see that, um, has to realize that lease payment as income. That. Mm-hmm. Again, you can write down due to the depreciation, so it might be at least somewhat a wash, depending on the situation. Sure. But if you own the equipment in the operating company, you'd get to write off the same thing anyway. So you know what I mean. So it's yeah. not there, there's not a massive financial gain by by doing that. Is right. Usually, like you said, hopefully net zero, because one one important part is you have to lease it at fair market value. Exactly right. right. Thank you for bringing that up. Yep. Yeah. You can't just pay a dollar lease payment or something. You know, you got to yeah. you got to do fair market value yeah. or some something very close. And I'll take it just one step further. And I won't okay. talk a lot about it. But, you know, if we're talking about these separate business entities, your your operating company and then some of these other business entities, a lot of times people will just own these business entities themselves. Sometimes it might make sense to have a holding company or an asset protection trust where you own this thing, this thing owns these things, right? Yep. So this is kind of that extra layer between you and these business entities, you personally between you and those personal business entities. So, yep. you know, a lot of people that everybody has, for the most part, you know, wealthier people in their town that people know the name of in their town. Yep. And, um, I think people would be surprised how many of those people, if they have good planning on paper, don't really own anything. Yeah. They own very little, right? They control a lot of things, but they personally own very little things are owned by trusts or business entities or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They own stock of the holding company or they own, they don't own the thing. Let me, I'll share some personal experience on this rental, um, Corey. So, Our thought, and this is one person's thought, but so we have rentals. And I say we, so I have rental properties in a completely separate. I mean, and here's the important part. So you talk about funds commingling, separate bank accounts, mm-hmm. separate filings, separate everything. Because mm-hmm. where my I always view worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. God forbid mm-hmm. somebody has somebody over at one of the rental houses, they slip it. I mean, it's winter time, right? So. Now, technically, they're responsible. You can set up all these protections. They're responsible for the snow and ice removal or whatever. Okay. Somebody right. slips and falls. Well, then they're going to say, wait a minute. Who owns this house? Oh, he does. Well, 
isn't that the guy that also does this? Interesting. Well, let me. And so then they go find a lawyer friend, right? And that says, well, hey, yeah, I know this big name. And I don't know. Let's look at it. Let's open things up a little bit and see what I'm hoping they find is, okay, house is owned by LLC. That's a property completely separate from me. That And unfortunately, wouldn't you know, that house has a loan against it. So there's not actually liquid funds available. What do you want is a lawyer to open up the books and go, there's nothing here. Like we can't, and everything is separate, right? There's a veil here between rental property and everything else I do so that they can't get across easily. I'm going to get into the weeds for just a second. Yeah, and this is probably more complex than I'm just going to hit on it because it's yeah, probably more complex than what's needed. Um, so there's ways to set that up where there's some anonymity right? Where it's basically unsearchable, uh, not unsearchable, but people would never tie it back to you. Cause yes, that is, that is part of that. If they're like, Oh, doesn't this guy own a successful business? Yeah. Right. And this guy does pretty well. I say, you know, and so now the, the more, the, the better you do, the bigger the target is on your back as far as attorneys are concerned. Right. So yeah. um, there's ways to set that up where it's kind of anonymous, right. Where people can't necessarily tie that back to you. Mm-hmm. And to your point, about even if you had a paid off piece of property in LLC, uh, um, you know, a rental property or whatever it is, and it's paid off and it's worth 500,000 or a million bucks or whatever, right? To your point, that's equity in that that is exposed to that potential risk. You can do what's called equity stripping. And now this is only for, again, when it makes sense, but you have, you create this other entity that holds a line of credit on this to where if it's a million dollars equity, this entity holds the line of credit of a million dollars on this. So again, there's no equity in this, this business entity that has nothing to do with this holds the line of credit. So there's no equity here to get. And now, yes, this would, this business entity, you would have to pay the interest or the payment or whatever to, to this. Yeah. But again, that's another you know form of, it's called equity. Yeah, it's, a, it's right? another so layer of protection. Back. Right. Because right. if nothing else, our, our, everyone gets, it seems like our, uh, our world becomes more litigious over time. Right. Like, Hey, how can I get at this? And that my mind also goes to the same thing when we're talking about work trucks. Right. So we're talking about separate mm-hmm. holding companies for assets, for equipment. Our trucks are wrapped. They are big, shiny targets that, and we run a successful company. So, mm-hmm there could be some unscrupulous person out there that says, well, they look successful. I wonder if we could arrange an accident that now gives me access into that. Oh, pain and suffering. And I'm so hurt and I've got loss of wages. If these are in a separate entity, that entity will protect itself. Right. But it doesn't affect the day to day of your main operating business. Would that be more or less. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, this is probably a different topic for a different day, but sure. Same thing about the, you know, one of the things we talk to business owners about is, is um, cash on the balance sheet. Right. So um, we hope it's a problem where we have a lot of cash, (laughs) right. Um, You know, within the business. But um, if you are holding a lot of cash within the business, same deal as that's, that's, um, you know, exposed to the liabilities of the business. So, I mean, obviously yep. you want to, you want to have what you need to have in there. 
first of all. Second of all, you want that money to be getting as much return as it can, but still be safe and accessible and all the things. Because if you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting there, you don't want it to be completely lazy. You want it to be getting some sort of meaningful return, but still be safe and accessible. Um, but up to a certain point, you don't want to have too much cash within the business. You want to get that yeah. cash out of the business, either reinvest it back into the business in some way. And mm -hmm. I say spend it, but wisely reinvest back into the business yeah. in a way that will increase profitability and or value of the business or get it out of the business in some way, whether that be to invest in real estate or invest in whatever else you want, right? Yeah. But to do something other than to get it off the books, so to speak. Yeah, because it turns into a target. Right. That's the thing. If, right. Like I said, God forbid something happens and you're, a lawyer opens up the books and starts looking around and says, I wonder what's in here that we have, we can, we can try to lay access to, to try mm -hmm. to compensate for whatever. Mm -hmm. The ideal scenario is they look at, they open the books and go, there's nothing here. These guys are leveraged to the hill. There's just, yeah. there's a maybe 10 grand, but by the time we do, we have cord and we have this close the books. It's not even worth it. Let's, yep. let's move on is, is like the dream scenario. Well, I mean, the dream is it doesn't happen, but should right. it happen? You know, that's, that's that is the dream scenario. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Well, you know, we didn't even get, so we're at an hour nine and we didn't even get to organization, which is a, which is a huge subject, which, <laughs> but maybe this is okay. We're going to start feeling like a real show here. When we say, Andrew, I'm going to have to have you back because we're going to have to talk about big, this is a teaser. We're going to talk about the organization Ooh. structures later. I like that. This is starting to feel like it's legit. Okay, we're doing stuff here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say hi to Chris real quick. What's up, Chris Steele? What's up, gentlemen? Hello, Chris. Chris Steele. And Fence Armor is with us, Al Martins. Hello, Al. So glad you guys joined us. You're joining us at the tail end. Please go back and watch from the beginning. It's an hour long. I know, that, but there's a bunch of juicy content here that, and also if, if you stick around for a few weeks, I'm sure Mark is already like planning how to slice and dice this up uh, to create some short content because there's some really good stuff here. There really is. It's, it's it, These are things that you don't typically think about if you're successful because you're focused on the mission, which is growing the company, becoming successful, you know, whatever the mission is, you're focused there, but you really need to press pause and think about all these different moving parts too, to make sure, you know, what you're driving that you can, that you can keep that safe, right? You can keep your key people in place so that this machine keeps churning, that you can keep growing and you can keep building on that. Uh, but you also want to make sure it's organized correctly that you're that way something doesn't happen, uh, you know, that maybe put that in jeopardy. You have to make time. And I know it's really hard. And I, I hear people say it's hard to find time. Or if you're trying to find time, you're never going to find it, but you can make time. We can all yeah. make time for things that are important to us. So you have to make time to work on, to work on your business. I know it's a kind of a cliche thing to work on your business, sure. not in your business, but you have to make time to sit down and with either another professional or with a mentor or with, with yourself or, I, you know, whatever, but you have to make time to work on these things. And I tell people all the time, like for, I hope everybody listening who's a business owner has a CPA. Why do we hire a CPA? It's not like we can't learn the tax code. It's all out. There's not a secret. It's all out there. We could all learn it. 
is that the most efficient use of your time? And so learning it and it's always changing, right? So is it more efficient to pay the CPA who is hopefully keeping up with the changes and understands the tax code who can, you know, deliver it to you in a way that, uh, you know what I'm saying? To kind of do it for you. Same thing with, you know, hiring people like Tony Thornton or the Mr. Fence Academy folks or something. I mean, all that you have to work on yourself as a leader and you yep. have to work on the business, on these things that aren't sexy. They aren't necessarily money making or they're yep. not fun and it's not, uh, but you got to do it if you want to get to the next level. Yeah, that's the thing is is you got to sit and think about, hey, if I had a meeting right now that would take two hours, but if I didn't take it, it would shut this business down. Would I take it? Yep. I would press pause on whatever else was going on and I would focus on this meeting. Right. And that's, you really got to kind of put things in that type of perspective. And I think it's like training an employee. It's like, okay, if you were to train an employee, you're going to have to spend time, dedicated time with that person, training them on the job that you want them to do. The more time, the more dedicated time that you can spend with them and the better job that you're able to do on training them. Yes. That's an investment that you could have been doing other things, Sure, but you train them up, you get them ready, and now they can be a productive employee for you versus, mm-hmm. hey, I'm hiring you, you're doing this job, figure it out, and they're never going to be good at it or it's going to take them a long time. And There's a lot of productivity lost because you didn't take the time to do that, right? So same deal with your business. If you don't take time to you know, really focus on the things you need to do to train this employee well, it's never going to be a good employee. Right. Your business is never going to reach the level that you want it to reach because it's always it doesn't you know what I mean? It, it, you can't figure the things out. So yeah. you, you got to spend time doing it. Well, and that's the thing is, as business owners, we can always find things to be busy with. You know, that's the thing. There's always right. any of 100 things that we could be really busy with, with. I think probably the problem and it's something I struggle with. I'm sure everyone does is prioritizing everything correctly. Right. To say, hey, these 10 things need my attention today. Now, priority one is that, 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 and I think, I think it's just realizing that the priority of the business organization, the business management needs to take precedent over kind of the day-to-day things, because really what you're doing is you're providing like safety stops, right? So should something happen, we can revert back to the safety stop and then we can move forward rather than, you know, it worst case scenario, if somebody isn't organized and we didn't even get to this part, but it isn't organized correctly, they didn't, everything's in one pot, their property, their business or trucks, something happens. Well, now, now your focus is on this because you have no other, you know, this is the biggest thing to your company, or you can build kind of stock right. gaps into here. Right. Absolutely. Andrew, if someone wanted to reach out to you directly to learn more about these subjects or subjects related to this, how do they find you? Yeah, um, they can go to our website, which is just atlasfinancialstrategies.com. We do quarterly business owner workshops that are meant to kind of deep dive into various subjects. So we'll do one later this month that is focused on knowing your numbers, so profit, profitability, difference between margin to markup and on your true expenses yeah. and how to charge and all those things. Fantastic. Next quarter will be taxes, but largely focused on taxes and things like that and so on and so forth. But we do those. So, I mean, you can, you know, if you get on our website, obviously you can contact us. You can also uh, um, uh, sign up for our newsletter. And so that's basically yeah. our email list. And in those emails, you will get the invitations to these free quarterly business owner workshops. So you can sign up, you'll get the invitations. They're all zoom webinar. You can do that there. Um, 
I have a relatively new YouTube page. We only have maybe a dozen, you know, you know, 15, 20 videos or something on there right now. Um, uh, like, follow, subscribe. Of course. Right, is what of, you course. Gotta <laughs> of course. Um, but there's, you know, we're always trying to put content out there that we hope people find valuable as well. So, you know, feel yeah. free to get on there and watch some of the videos. Yeah, guys, just in, in talking with Andrew offline and there's a wealth of knowledge here and a wealth of information. I think anyone would find a benefit in reaching out and, and learning more. Um, obviously, so we're going to throw up the YouTube channel. I'm a big fan of it, quite obviously. Uh, click over, like, subscribe uh, so for more great content. Andrew, I appreciate you being so gracious with your time. Thank you. And one one more thing is, um, you know, especially for the fence guys, um, the the fence industry has been gracious enough to embrace me with open arms. And, um, you know, I what wonderful guys um, that I've gotten to meet, you know, through the process. But, um, you know, for the fence guys, again, I if you ever want to call, if you have things. So sometimes it's not maybe hiring us doesn't make sense. Right. But you like you got this thing where it's like. I just, I need somebody's help with this. And I just, you know, and there's been multiple people throughout the last year or so that, you know, just a quick, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minute phone call about an issue that they, you know, have that they just need maybe somebody like mine's input on or advice or maybe a second set of eyes or whatever. Sure. I'm happy to take those phone calls. We don't charge for them, any of that. So you can just reach out to the office and say, hey, just let me schedule, you know, a quick phone call with Andrew. Um, or you can reach out to me even on my personal Facebook or something and say, Hey man, I got this thing to get time for a quick phone call. So I do my best to, to make myself available for the fence guys. Yep. Um, and so if you need anything, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to take phone calls, help you as best I can. Again, not everybody needs to hire us, but maybe you just need sure. a quick, some quick help. Yeah. Well, and I saw, I saw you reaching out to the industry in the, in the industry groups, right. In the Facebook mm -hmm. pages saying, Hey, technically our office is closed, but I'd like to, I'd like to be able to help you guys. I have some availability. Yep. Um, so that's huge. I mean, just being a resource is we're helping the industry get better. Right. And right. Rising tide raises all the ships. If we can that's help right. each other, then we're all stronger and better for it. That's right. Very Agreed. good. Andrew, we're going to have to schedule uh, episode three here because we've right. got at least one more thing on the list. And I bet when we put our heads together, we'll come up with a couple more. I don't doubt it. Again, thank you so much. I know Saturdays are tough. Thank you for making time available for the show. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Guys, reach out to Andrew. Go like and subscribe to his YouTube channel. I am. When we get off of here, I'm going to go like and subscribe because I can't wait to see what kind of content he puts out. Uh, next week's guest will be talking about the Pickets and Picks event coming up at Finstech in Nashville. I think we're like three weeks away. It's going to be here before you know it. Uh, so going to have uh, Robert and Chance on to talk about Pickets and Picks. You're not going to want to miss it. For now, Joe Evers, the Fence Expert, reminding you, the good fences make good neighbors, and I'll see you next time.